Hello, and welcome to Smart Supply Chain, a podcast produced by ALOM, featuring industry experts offering insight and clarity on a variety of supply chain topics. I'm your host, Jennifer Duell. As an environmentally and socially conscious global supply chain services provider, ALOM offers Six Sigma quality, technology leadership, flexibility, and true customer focus. ALOM delivers its clients' products flawlessly, enriching the end user experience and upholding their brand reputations. Our guest expert is Hannah Kane, CEO of ALOM. Thank you for being here today with me, Hannah. Absolutely my pleasure. 2022 is ALOM's 25th anniversary. How does that make you feel? Oh, it makes me feel like I must have been very young when we started ALOM. I can't believe 25 years flew by. I'm looking back and I'm very proud of the team and where we're at now and what we accomplished. And yet I also feel that it was a lot of work going through everything we did. Did you always want to be an entrepreneur? Yeah, I think my dream really started very early on. I mean, I'm saying back when I was four years old, and I'm not sure I had any idea about what an entrepreneur was, but I started really early dreaming of running my own company. That was my dream. I never thought about Prince Charming. I never thought about uh, a lot of other things, but really running my own company and maybe even thinking about being in a different environment than where I grew up uh, always was attractive to me. Talk with me a little bit about the allure of supply chain as an industry and how you ended up in supply chain. I've always been really interested in physical product and manufacturing and creating something new in tactile things. But I've also been very fascinated by technology. And so very early on, I wrote my first programs and was part of the entire computer development, and it fascinated me. And so when I landed in Silicon Valley, it really gave this opportunity of combining those two interests because supply chain is a very complex set of processes that come together and must be driven by technology. I realized very early on that technology was a fairly key element in supply chain. And when we started ALAM, we probably became the first company in the world to do the customer portals at the time. It was called Extranets. Uh, the term customer portal is much newer. But we gave our customers uh, portals, and I was actually part of programming that entire setup. From the very beginning, used technology in ways that others had not been thinking about using technology for supply chain. So I really thrive on a number of different aspects of running a supply chain company. One of them is just the general idea of running a company and making everybody collaborate and work together and move in the right direction. But the other thing is the complexity of the supply chain and using technology to generate results that are extraordinary and drive that innovation that really inspires me every day. And then, of course, there's a supply chain professional that really warms my heart and gives me energy every day to do what I'm doing. 
So let's talk a little bit about risk. Most people would agree that there's a pretty high level of risk that people take on when they start new businesses. How do you think about risk? I grew up in a home where my dad was in concentration camp, had been in concentration camp during the Second World War. He was born in Germany, fled the Nazis, but was caught in my native country, Denmark, and captured, taken to concentration camp, almost died in concentration camp, and his entire family was wiped out, and he really got a bad start on life. And when I grew up, I, I kept thinking, I'm so privileged. Growing up under much, much better conditions and he was, I have all these opportunities in front of me, and my biggest risk in life is to not avail myself of those opportunities. My biggest risk is to not be the best that I can be and just really leverage all the opportunities in front of me. And so I've been very driven by looking at business and my life that way. But you can also mitigate risk. You can think through the risk. You can have contingency plans. So there's a lot of different ways of thinking about risk. But what it boils down to, Jennifer, it was a big risk I took when starting Elon. As far as perseverance goes, overcoming obstacles, there is a point where you have to acknowledge that it's time to try something new, that what you're doing isn't working. When it comes to perseverance, you need to, of course, evaluate at all times whether you are doing the right thing and are you on the right course. I'm always going in and looking at whether we are on the right course and doing the right thing. One of the big dangers when you run and grow a company, especially over the last couple of years, we've grown really fast. Are you just band-aiding things or are you really operating at the new level you're at? And what are the new opportunities and new risks that you need to look at? So uh, perseverance, uh, where you're just doing the wrong thing over and over again, is, of course, wrong. You need to all the time look at whether you're doing the right thing. And for me, it's been always about doing the right thing and doing right by everybody around me. And it's also been about doing it the right way. So it's not just getting to the right goal or setting the right course, but it's also the way you're going about it. For instance, with respect for people around us in a collaborative manner with suppliers and and clients and so forth. Tell me a little bit about your first year of operations. What do you remember most vividly? Oh, we did a little bit build it and they will come. So we were standing with equipment and empty warehouses and we gave tours showing potential customers where things would go and what they talked about our plans. So it was a, there was a little bit make-believe about it, but then we got some really big customers all of a sudden in, in very short order. We went from zero to 200 miles per hour in no time, and we were just so tremendously busy. We took over one very big customer from one day to the next, literally, and we never missed a shipment for them. But it was a lot of work. I think uh, the year went by in a blur. I think I had many work weeks with 80, 100 or even more hours sort of thinking about whether it would pay to go home and sleep or should I just stay at work. 
And so it was very fast paced, but also very exhilarating to go uh, and have that type of very early success. So I'm always saying I had tremendous luck when we started ALOM and getting these uh, new customers in and getting off to the races in such a good manner. A good portion of things that happen in life are not necessarily the result of hard work or planning. I feel that there's a really big element of luck. What do you think about that? It's always easy when you look at others and see things going well for them and saying, oh, they're just lucky. And in the bigger scope of things, we are all lucky. So I think we have good luck and bad luck coming. And part of it is how do you react to it? So with good luck, what you do is you leverage it. So yes, we did get customers in and it was very lucky, but it wouldn't have helped us if we were not able to execute. And if we didn't put that focus and effort into really executing. And, you know, we have had our share of bad luck as well. We are headquartered in Silicon Valley. And when Silicon Valley went through its big downturn around the turn of the millennium, we were really hard hit. We had some very big customers uh, go out of business, leaving us hanging without paying us. We lost a number of customers. We had become an e-commerce fulfillment pioneer one of the first companies to do e-commerce fulfillment and came back and bit us. Pioneering is not always a good idea when you're just barely out of startup mode. So we almost went down because of that, and that took a lot of perseverance. I'm always telling uh, uh, entrepreneurs who come for advice that perseverance is probably one of the most important personality traits that an entrepreneur needs because there are going to be obstacles and bad luck. So I'm thinking very much about bad luck is something you look at as an obstacle and overcoming. Work around it, you find a way around it, or you go through it and just grit your teeth and just get out on the other side. So I've always been thinking about, okay, so what's on the other side of this obstacle and, and how do I get there? When you started ALOM 25 years ago, how did you define success? I had some visions what ALOM could be. Of course, a little bit of that was size, but I more define success around quality and being a leader and innovation. My vision was to have a supply chain company that was very collaborative could work with all the different stakeholders that are involved in supply chain and to make everything come together. Um, I had this weird vision back then that maybe you could produce and deliver goods within 24 hours all over the world. I was actually uh, laughed at quite a bit. And today, of course, we know that reality has surpassed what I thought possible because today we are seeing same day or some places even same hour delivery. So uh, it's been really impressive to follow. The other thing I looked at was, of course, the global footprint. And so that's why we have invested so much in doing the global footprint and making sure we can serve our customers any place in the world. And then, of course, technology, right? So technology is near and dear to my heart. 
how are we staying a technology leader in supply chain creating these very customized solutions. Part of my vision for Elam was really uh, customization and having very in-depth relationships and customizing the supply chain for each client. So our responsiveness and our ability to meet customers' exact needs really at the top of my success criteria. So would you say that your definition of success today is the same that it was 25 years ago? I think the bar has been raised very considerably since 25 years ago, where supply chain was barely an industry and barely a term. But certainly the base values of collaboration, having highly skilled staff members and collaborating with all the stakeholders is very, very key to us still. And then quality was a cornerstone of our startup values, and quality is still a core value today. Certainly, the speed with which uh, we can work and communicate and react is much, much faster today than it was when uh, Elam was born. And we have much higher volumes and much bigger footprint and much more ability to deliver at a higher level. And the competition has also certainly followed us to those levels. So uh, we need to continue to innovate. And I know that there's going to be a lot of interesting innovation coming over the next 10 years. I am very curious of what you consider to be ALOM's biggest success. There are different levels of successes. The competency of the team now and the way everybody's collaborating at a very high level, I consider key success. What we've been doing for our customers, sometimes bordering on impossible, sometimes so impossible that we laughed when we got the assignment. Also, the quality levels and service level we have delivered over time, I would consider a huge success. Personally, I feel seeing staff members grow. I saw the babies being born and now they are in their 20s. That's a fantastic feeling. And being part of supporting these families as a company has been very satisfying for me. One of my premises when starting Elam was creating a company that did right by everybody in the ecosystem. So our strong sustainability program, our supplier diversity, where we are reaching out into underserved communities and getting more of our spend out to the underserved communities. And certainly just our overall relationship in both the general supply chain community, but also in the communities where our facilities are located, where we are part of the landscape and certainly support different social functions in those areas. That's very important for me also as a success criteria. Talk with me a little bit about the importance of having a really strong support system. You cannot do supply chain alone. It's a collaborative sport, but that's true for Really, any company, if you try to just do it alone, you just cannot do that. So you you need to have a collaborative approach, but you also need to have people behind you standing in your court. That doesn't mean that they need to always agree with you. On the contrary, 
They just need to have your best interest at heart uh, at all times. They need to be focused on how to make you successful and being willing to do it on your premises also. Having that type of support network is really important, both mentally, but also to help you see blind spots and understand which opportunities there are out there and having that support network that says, but have you thought about something is tremendously important. So very early on, I signed up for different organizations where I would have that support network. I pulled on my friends. My husband was very supportive. I pulled on a lot of different resources. And I also very early on got a coach and got part of some networks that really were focused on making each other successful. And that's a model that I've continued to this day where I'm part of networks that help each other and support each other. And it's been one of the biggest pieces of satisfaction for me personally is when I can help others either internally in the company or externally. And certainly those networks have provided ample opportunity for that. And I've also got a lot of support from the networks. Being a woman in supply chain, but also a woman business owner, do you feel that gender equality has been something that's been on your mind every day, every year that you have been in existence at ALAM? I mean, 25 years, what changes have you experienced or witnessed? Oh, lots of changes. And I want to say that today I don't personally sense any real setback of being a woman in supply chain, I would say almost on the contrary. But back when we started Elam, now that was another story. We had people call in and ask for Mr. Elam, if you can believe that. And when that ended up on my phone line, I would invariably transfer to some mail who could answer that call. And so whoever asked for Mr. Elam didn't, in fact, get to speak with the owner. Just when Elam started, certainly I had a number of people who had a hard time dealing with a woman trying to start a supply chain company. And several of them, the hesitation was so big that I ended up deciding I could not do business with them. I've done some calculations on some of them. The biggest deal that somebody lost with Elon because of bad management of the relationship, sort of not feeling they could do business with a woman, I think they lost up to $20 million worth of business over the years. And so I always feel that if somebody discriminates, it's really their problem. And uh, I just went and found another supplier, and that was fine. I think the person who discriminates actually is ending off worse than the person who's being discriminated against. Being a woman in supply chain has also given me some real advantages because I very early on saw more talent in women, in female applicants for jobs and female partners, And so this gave me the opportunity to hire really great staff members that others overlooked. And listen, it's not just a gender issue. It's also a racial issue, a minority issue, an issue with just seeing potential in people. And it allowed me to build a 
team that is very diverse, but also very competent because these were job applicants who back in the days were put aside and not considered, or if they were considered at a lower salary level. And so this gave me some opportunities. So to this day, we have about 60% female, 40% male employees. Very, very unusual in supply chain. The ability to identify potential, how important is that? Oh, I think it's very important. But listen, we all have potential. We all have potential to do more and being able to see what really will make a person successful in what they're doing and how we can leverage that is another way of looking at potential. It was part of why uh, I took the initiative uh, some four or five years back to start Elon University was to have the opportunity to grow the Elon staff members into the next level of competency. And so potential is not just something people have or they don't have. I think everybody has potential. Hiring somebody who has a lot of potential and really wants to achieve their very best is certainly a, a very important parameter for any company. How would you describe your leadership style? Ooh, I'm not the right person to describe my personal leadership style, but I like to collaborate. I like to see others succeed. So I am very much into providing the tools and the support and the staff for anybody to succeed in their job function. I like to be part of innovation and driving the company forward. And I like to see all the stakeholders around Elam thriving and cherishing the relationship they have with Elam and with the staff members we have. And so those type of things are, are very important to me. So I think leadership is not just relationship internally. It's also how you treat everybody in the entire ecosystem that's the company. You're an optimist, and I fully embrace that fact. But even optimists get discouraged sometimes or have bad days. And I'm curious, how do you manage to keep your team motivated when you yourself might be discouraged? Well, the first thing I try to do is not be discouraged. You mentioned I'm an optimist. I also like to see fun and positive aspects and everything. I like laughing at work. I like cracking jokes and it makes for a more relaxed environment around everybody. I remember when Elon went through a really tough time and we had a finance meeting and we were laughing and joking. We knew it was serious, but we were still just trying to keep up that positive spirit. And I had a journalist sit outside my office waiting to interview me. And she wrote about how everybody was laughing all the time and she didn't know what the meeting was about, but she could hear everybody laughing. And I thought that was a really pretty descriptive of how I think back at those meetings and those times. So having that ability to see the positive in the situation and the potential certainly is, is very important. But the other thing is that even when you are at jam, if you have a feeling that everybody's pulling their load and in a competent manner and able to collaborate to get out of a jam, people have a different feeling around that. Right? And now all of a sudden you're lifting together 
and you're doing something together that's meaningful. I believe that people can do almost anything under those circumstances. As long as you feel others are with you and you collaborate and it's one team effort and there's nobody slacking off and things like that. So I believe keeping everybody together and keeping very positive spirit and not having any slackers on the team, only having real performers. Tell me a little bit about bad decisions. How do you handle when you've made bad decisions? Because everybody makes a bad decision once in a while. There are two things uh, that's important. One is, of course, owning up to it. So uh, apologizing. I happened to say something the wrong way or I went in the wrong direction. And then, of course, finding a good way to click the undo button. And that's not always so easy. And one of the key elements is, of course, to say this is not about you. You're not a bad person because I made one bad decision. In the beginning of the company's history, when we had very few resources and we had to think very carefully, for instance, about how we invested, you put more thought into it. But then you also have the speed of the decisions because sometimes you need to go really fast in order to be effective. And if you get to a point where it is a bad decision, being really fast at backpedaling. The other thing I'm always thinking about is a Silicon Valley adage, fail fast. How can I see whether this is a good decision and then not invest a ton of resources in it, but backpedal if it turns out that it's a bad decision and then we try something else? So to summarize, own up to it, recognize it fast and take the ego out of that equation and then find a good way to backpedal. Don't wallow in it afterwards. I know a lot of people say they learn so much from bad decisions. I like to think I learn more from good decisions and can we replicate that? And then the the last point, uh, Jennifer, I think that the important thing is to let others around you make bad decisions also. Not all the time, of course, but every once in a while, give everybody the leeway stepping back and saying somebody made a bad judgment call, but that's okay. Overall, we are doing fine here and we can adjust that bad judgment call. I think that's an important leadership trait as well that I've personally been working on. One of the things that you had mentioned earlier that really resonated with me was that you learn more from the good decisions than you have from your bad decisions. If I make a bad decision, I hit the undo button and I move on. Again, I don't believe in wallowing in things that went wrong, whether I was the instigator of the wrong or it was just a bad luck. I do believe you need to move on. I have decided that I am living a life of very minimal or no regrets. And that means I'm looking at potential. I'm looking at the things I want to do. It's not that I don't reflect on what's a good decision and what's a bad decision. But of course, I am more looking out in the future and what needs to happen. Thank you for listening to this episode of Smart Supply Chain. We hope you will join us for our next episode. 
For more information or to contact ALOM, go to ALOM.com. That's A-L-O-M dot com.